You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. And today is the very last message of our series on David. So if you've been following along at any point over the last 10 weeks, we've been working our way through. If this is your first Sunday here, don't worry about it. So uh, it'll be a, you can, you know, we'll, we'll catch you up. I'm going to give you a brief little summary of everything. And so you'll know where we are. But Dave is one of those really interesting people in, in Scripture. His name kind of stands out among everybody else. You know, when you get the, the story of Jesus, which we're going to start next week because it's December and we're doing Christmas already next week. Isn't that crazy? Um, next week is December 1st. But when you talk about Jesus and the lineage, Jesus, son of David, you know, city of David, this name just sort of jumps out among all the other names and he stands out among the, the names in, in Scripture. And uh, God himself said something really remarkable about David, right? He said that David was a man after my own heart. And we've just talked and explored how, how could God actually say that about any person? You know, that's really like, it's dangerous. You kind of associate yourself with somebody. You know, you can be, everything about David now can be attributed to God. Like, you sure you want to do that, God? You want to you go out on a limb here? And so we've kind of examined what is it about David's heart that led God to, to say that? And so week one, we talked about how David was in this genealogy of Jesus and they used David to measure it. And that David, it says, serve the purposes of God in his generation. Right? And it lets us know that David had a story. He was a part in the story, but it wasn't his story. David was part of the story of Jesus. So we're all, we have a story, but it's not our story. This is all one big story that's really about God's love for humanity. That's what this is all about. So David had a humble heart. So we learned week one, he had a humble heart. It was, it knew it had a place in the story. It was important, but it's not my story totally. Um, then week two, we talked about how David was a shepherd boy, right? And he was anointed by Samuel to be king, and it's great. He's out there, seven older brothers, you know, and they're all like, ah, you know, they forget that he's even out there sometimes. David comes in, he's anointed king, and then he waits. And he waits and he waits because there's about 15, maybe 20 years in between David being anointed king and actually becoming king. And David never stopped hoping. He constantly, you know, we talked about how long can you hold on to a dream? How long? Some of you have been holding on to things for a long time. And, you, you know, it's like you wait two months for something and you're like, you know, if you order something on Amazon and it doesn't have next day delivery, you're like, I don't know. Like, how many of you are so spoiled now on Prime that if something is not offered on Prime, you won't even order it? It's like, listen, it could be, like, if they don't have a precise date, like, it could be between now and, like, the next three weeks. Oh, nah, I need the next three days. I'll, I'll pay more to have something come sooner, even though I don't need it sooner, just because, right? Like, we hate waiting 15 years. David never lost hope in, this, in, in the calling God put in his, in his heart. He was hopeful. And we talked about David and Goliath, right? This little guy... Fighting this, fighting this big giant, right? And it says David actually runs at the giant. Everybody else is shaking their boots and David's like, come on, God is so much bigger than him because faith and fear have the same definition. Right? They both believe that what hasn't happened yet will. Right? That's what faith is. It believes that what hasn't happened yet will. That's what fear is. It believes that what hasn't happened yet will. The only difference between faith and fear is who your trust is in. Right? If your trust is in God, you've got faith. If your trust is in the enemy, you've got fear. Who's bigger? Right? And so we said a heart after God is fearless, right? It's faithful. That's the heart of David. He ran after Goliath. And then David began to serve Saul and play music for this tormented king. Saul struggled mentally, emotionally. He was just a mess. It says David played music for Saul. 
and sang songs. And David said, hey, listen, I'm just like you, but I can bring you comfort. And, and, and David had a heart that was compassionate. He would help somebody who is Saul's the king. David's supposed to be king. And David is here serving the one who's in his seat. And he's bringing pe- you know, peace and comfort to him. That there are Saul's in your life. There are people in your life that are struggling. And when you have a heart like David's, like a heart like God's, right, you, can, you can come and bring comfort to them. And, and sit with them and, 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 and bring them that comfort that they need. And then we talked about Saul's son, Jonathan, right, who was one of David's best friends. Like We all need a Jonathan in our life. We need somebody who's going to believe in us when we don't even believe in us. And Jonathan said, listen, Jonathan's the prince. He should be the next king. And he says, hey, David, this would, I can see that God's already given you the kingdom. I believe in you. You need to be the king. And Jonathan built David up. And David was vulnerable with him and opened his heart and trusted Jonathan. He could have he been like, hey, I don't, I don't know if I trust you here. But David did. He trusted Jonathan and he let God do that work in his heart. And then, then Saul kind of lost his mind. He starts trying to kill David, throw spears at him. I saw somewhere that the reason Saul threw spears at David is because David started playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And it's very possible. Not, not, not happening in our house. You can ask my son. He's trying. He's trying. He's just, I'll hear him go, Alexa, play Christmas music. And you know, I'm like, like um, we have a fight over Alexa, you know, Alexa, stop it, you know. Um, but David, you know, was on the run in caves and Saul's trying to kill him. And, and then David has this opportunity to, to, to kill Saul himself. Saul ends up in his cave of all caves, of all the caves in all the world. He walks into mine, right? And David has a chance to kill Saul and he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. And it shows that David's heart is true. He refuses to take what God hasn't given to him yet. He said, listen, this is the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch it. Then we move on and David now becomes king and he's a selfless king. It says he served for the good of the people. He knew that God had made him king for the sake of the people. So David served, said, this isn't all about me. This is all about the people. And it was great. I'm telling you, David had such an awesome heart. And then we turned the corner and David just blew it. One year... Right When it's time for kings to go off into battle, David says, I think I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to stay at home. And David ends up seeing something he shouldn't have seen, does something he shouldn't have done. The next thing you know, David absolutely blows it with Bathsheba. He just has this awful moment where he, it turns into violating his relationships. He, he murders one of his, his men. It's just he tries to cover it up. It's this huge mess that he makes. And then he gets called on it by Nathan and we find that David he allows himself to be to be accountable he says you're right I'm wrong this was sin I shouldn't have done it I confess and a heart after God doesn't mean this is where we begin to understand that David isn't just perfect and there's this standard up here and a heart after God has to be perfect a heart after God can be flawed it can be broken we just need to stay accountable before God say search me God know my heart test me every single day God would just search my heart make sure I'm okay and that's what David did. And then last week we talked about his son Absalom, how his, again, David, terrible father, great king, terrible father, totally did nothing, created a situation in his home that was just broken. And David, at, just like we're really scrapping to find something redemptive in David's story with that. And the one thing we find is that David said, listen, if God is done with me because I've just blown it too many times, I'm not going to fight for the, for the kingdom, for the throne. I'm going to let God take it. And if God wants to give it back to me, I'll keep my hands open. But I refuse to fight for this. And David stayed surrendered to God, said, God, you write the story of my life. So today we're going to pick up at the end of David's life. Okay, so now we've got the whole kind of, that was like a, right? It was like a three-minute version. Maybe it was a little longer of just David's life. Now we're going to pick it up at the end of his life. 
He's got many sons, right? He's got many sons. Three of them have died. Um, and now he's got, only one of them can be king next. Right? And that's the way it would usually work. You know, just the son would become king next. And uh, so one of his sons named Adonijah decides he's going to proclaim himself king. He's like, oh, I'm going to be king next. And so he, uh, he goes out, gets a bunch of people. He's like, yeah, call me king. So he's got these hundreds of people there. They're just kind of tricking everybody. And somebody else comes to David and be like, hey, you've got to get a handle. Is, is that who you want? Because if not, you've got to do something. David makes a decision, announces that his son Solomon is going to be the next king. Most of you have probably heard, how many have heard of King Solomon or right, Solomon? You, you should know uh, his name in, in history. Um, and it's really fascinating that of all of David's sons, Solomon would be the next king. Because I don't know how many of you know, do you know who Solomon's mother is? It's Bathsheba. So it's interesting. Of all the sons that David had, right, that he chooses Solomon, part of David's greatest failure. Right? I just think it's amazing that God can make kings out of our worst decisions. Just think about that. Worst decision of David's life. Right? That has an affair with Bathsheba, terrible, kills her husband, just tries to cover it all up, absolute mess. Her husband's dead, the child that they had together dies. They get married. Because her husband's dead now, so David can't leave her. He does the honorable thing, marries her, right? brings her into the palace, takes care of her. They have another child. That child grows up to be Solomon. And David says, you're going to be king next. So think about it even from Bathsheba's standpoint. right? She goes from being a, just a woman who's taken advantage of to now her son gets to be king. God redeems it all over the place. He brings beauty from ashes. And it's not a license to necessarily be reckless or foolish and say, I can screw it all up and God's just going to fix it in the end. It's not what it's about at all. It's just simply hope for us that when we have regrets about our past, God can actually take it and turn it into something beautiful. So he took David's failure, brings blessing out of it, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. First Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It'll be on the screen if you'd like to read there. You can read in the Bibles that you have in your hands as well, or on your phone, or you can just listen. You don't have to listen at all. Um, it's up to you. First Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, At the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must go, must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you'll be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. So David gives parting words. Take courage. Be a man. And I say, mm, be a man. Follow God. And if you do, God will honor you. It's interesting that David tells Solomon to do things that David kind of blew. Right? He didn't do it himself. But he says, hey, be a man. Follow God. Do it all the way. God's not going to give up on you. And then he passes on one more piece of information to Solomon. He wants Solomon to build a temple for God. We're going to pick this up. We're going to skip over. It'll be on the screen to, to 1 Chronicles 22. So you can keep your finger in 1 Kings. We'll come back to that in a minute. But 1 Chronicles 22, it says this. So David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel. And he signed them the task of preparing finished stone for building the temple of God. And David provided large amounts of iron for the nails that would be needed for the doors and the gates and for the clamps. And he gave more bronze than could be weighed. If anybody wants to keep like a, a, a tick list here of all the different things that David is preparing, it's helpful so that when we build our temple, you'll know you need to bring iron nails. Um, 
It says this, he also provided innumerable cedar logs for the men of Tyre and Sidon had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. And David said, my son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparation for it now. I will begin making preparation for it now. Something's coming. I'm going to do it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, if you remember from our tabernacle series, what do we know about the tabernacle? First thing first, right? Big square, right? Rectangular thing. Remember the long thing? We had all the different entrances, the outer courts, the inner courts, the Holy of Holies. Remember three different rooms. We did our whole study on this. But most of all, the tabernacle was portable. Remember, Wherever they go, they would set it up, then they would tear it down, set it up and tear it down, sort of like we do every Sunday. We set it up, we tear it down, wherever we go, we're going to set it up and tear it down. We would just, he would just move. Wherever they would go, the tabernacle would go. Now that David is king, they have successfully secured land. He's fought so many battles that they've given peace now with, with the land. They've got, they've got space to call their own, right? And so now David says it's time to, dis- to build a permanent temple. No more of this tent stuff. We need to build a structure now, build cities, and we need, we need to give God his own temple. So I'm gathering all these supplies, and David tells Solomon, so I'm going to gather it all, but you do it. Like, like David, if God put this on your heart, why don't you do this? <laughs> why are you putting all this stuff and be like, hey, Solomon, you should build a temple when you become king. Like, why don't you do it yourself? So again, verse 7, let's keep reading. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands, and his name will be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So here we see this sort of juxtaposition of grace and justice. David has been the cause of so much bloodshed. You've got too much blood on your hands. You can't be the one to build this for me. This is a sacred place, David, and you can't do it. Too much, too much blood on your hands. But God will allow Solomon, your son, to build it. So grace Justice, you can't do it, but grace, I'm going to let your son do it. So David charges Solomon with the task, verse 11. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. Let me come to verse 14. And David says this. He says, I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. I'm not sure if I got that measurement right. You may need a little bit more timber. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to assist Solomon in this project. 
The Lord your God is with you, he declared. He has given you peace with the surrounding nations. He has handed them over to me, and they are now subject to the Lord and his people. Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple to build to the honor of the Lord's name. God is with you, he says. He will give peace. Seek him with all your heart and build it. David's just saying, okay, now, I've done it all. I've set the table for you. I've done everything I can do in advance. But now you've got to go do it. He says, then we can skip. He says, verse, verse 10, of, of, of back to First Kings. He says, then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. And David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. And Solomon became king and sat in the throne of David his father and the kingdom was firmly established. See, David runs his race, fulfills the purposes of God in his generation and hands off the baton. Hands off the baton. See, the final quality we see about David's heart, and this is a good one. David does something good here. He gets something right. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, not a total screw up. David dies well. The final quality we see is that a, a heart after his is visionary. It's visionary. And what I mean by that is David had vision beyond his own lifetime. He saw what was still to be done. He saw that there was more to do. How many of you get everything you need done in a day? Right? You finish your to-do list and you're like, I don't even know what to do tomorrow. I just have to wake up and figure it out. No. Like, we've got stuff to do. We've got things. There are, like, there are so many things I wish I could get done that I don't have enough time today to do all those things. Okay, that's vision. Right? That, that, that's part of vision. He saw what needed to be done. Realized he wasn't to do it. And here's the big part. He didn't just identify that a temple needed to be made. He made preparation for it. I call it visionary preparation. He gathered tools and people and materials. He accomplished the purpose of God in his generation. And part of that included setting the stage for the next generation. See, visionary isn't only about you. What are you doing for the next generation? What are you doing to set the people up that are going to follow you? He did everything he could to ensure that Solomon would have everything he needed to do the work. Could Solomon be like, ah, I don't have enough timber, maybe. David said he might need more of that. But everything, gold, iron, copper, silver, I get you. I'll get you workers. I will get you wood. I will get you everything you need. I'm going to tell you all about it. I'm going to tell you this. God, God is with you. I'm going to tell you what it's for. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to prepare the way for you. See, vision is not just simply what could be. Like that's an idea. That's a like dreams, right? Dreams are the things that could be. Like, like I have a dream of dunking. A basketball. It's a dream. It, it, it could be. No, no. Okay, maybe a nine-foot basket or something. Like maybe. A, but listen, that's a dream. It could be. But here's the question: Is that something that should be? Does it have to be? No. It's not necessary. Like it's not like if I don't dunk a basketball, you know, I'm going to stop breathing. Like, it's just something I would love to do, right? I've got a dream. Like, it'd be awesome, you know, to take our family for a month and go to Italy, right? That's a, that's a dream. Cool. Does that have to happen? No. But it's a dream. It could happen, right? But the difference between vision and a dream, a dream is what could happen. A vision is what 
should happen. See, because vision solves a problem. All vision starts with pain, with a problem, with a need. God has no permanent dwelling place, David says. This is not right. We're all living in houses and God's got a tent. We've got to fix this. It's a problem. God needs to be, if we really want God to be part of our community and say God is, God is center, central to who we are as a people, then we should build God a structure that so resembles that. And so David says, you go and build it. We need, it's a problem. The vision solves a problem. It's, it's the difference between what should be and what could be. Vision, dreams, ideas, everything else. There's all sorts of things that could be. The question is, what should be? David saw a problem. He lived in a palace. God has a tent. The task was great. It's Solomon's to do. It's going to require a lot of work, so I'm going to prepare for you. I'm going to do everything I can so that you have what you need. See, the measure of our lives is not only what we accomplish in it. Let me say it again. The measure of our lives is not only what we accomplish in it, but how well we prepare the way for those that follow. It's not just about how far I got, but did I give anybody coming after me any help? Okay, so you've heard the, the phrase, my goal is to work myself out of a, myself out of a job. You've heard that phrase? Right? It's not in the Bible, just so you know. Um, I hate that phrase. I don't hate it. I dislike it strongly. Right? I don't love it. Some of you love that phrase. Hey, that's great. That's okay. This is, this is, not, this is not God. This is just me. Personal, personal thing. I just don't like that phrase. I don't like the way... I'm like, no, it's just... No, you see, here's my thing. I think our goal... Like, I know what people mean. I just don't like it. I think our goal should be to do our job so well that those that follow us have the largest head start possible. I don't want to be like, yeah, hey, I just want to, I just want to tell everybody else what to do and look at, look at how many things I've, I've not done. Hmm, I don't know. I just, it just rubs me the wrong way. I want to so work so hard and do such a good job that those that follow me have as big a head start. Did David have to gather all those supplies? No. He could have told Solomon to do it. He could have given him a list and said, here, you need to get all this stuff. And that even would have been helpful. But David was so visionary, so believing in the vision that he did everything he could to pave the way for the next generation. I want to do my part and run my, well, my race so well that those coming next have everything they need to fulfill their purpose. So we should constantly be asking ourselves, what is best for those that follow us? What is the best for those that follow us? If what I'm doing is not sustainable for the next generation, then I'm not doing them any favors. Right? It's not just about, hey, look at how much work I can do and the people after me, they're going to die trying to keep up. No, that's not helpful either. Right? What are we doing and are we giving them a sustainable, helpful future? How can we so serve God in this generation that the next generation is ready to step right into what God has for them? You know, think about it. When the colonists, right, when they left England, they dreamed of a new life. When the Wright brothers dreamed of flight, they envisioned a better way to travel. The civil rights leaders took their stand. They had a vision of a better future for their children. So the question we have today is, so what? So what that David had a visionary heart? So what? Is the way that you are living your life setting up the next generation to follow God and honor Him? We spend all this time working on our kids' inheritance and giving them houses and money and education and all this, and all that stuff is good. All that stuff is good. It's not bad. But are we investing in the next generation 
to help them follow God? Is anything more important? What does it profit a man if he gained the world and loses his soul? What would, it, what would it profit our kids if we gave them everything but not God? If we didn't pass on faith to the next generation, are we leaving well-worn paths to Jesus behind us? Are we so modeling faith that the next generation clearly knows who this God is? Do they know who He is? Perhaps you come from a legacy of faith. Maybe your family has been following Jesus for generations and you come from a whole legacy of, of people and you've had the benefit of seeing faith modeled and heard the testimonies of God's power and seen what faith looks like lived out. Like, I had that. I had that. I got the benefit of seeing you know, faith just handed down from generations and generations and grandparents and great-grandparents. Perhaps you're the first in your family. And you're in absolutely uncharted territory. Regardless of whether you came from this, I don't even know where I am, I'm not even sure what faith looks like, or I've been seeing this for generations. Regardless, what you do today is preparing the way for the next generation. You have the power to impact future generations. What you do today will echo tomorrow. The foundation you lay today has life far beyond us. So vision solves a problem, right? All vision solves a problem. And the greatest problem in our world today, the single greatest problem, is that people don't know who God is and how much He loves them. There's no problem that's greater than that. If everybody in the world understood who God was and how much He loved them, all the rest of the problems in the world, I mean, we're human, we'd still screw up stuff. I mean, even David, right? But the world would look a whole lot better. It's the single greatest problem. So do you have a vision for making the love of Jesus known beyond you? I have a vision that my children are going to share the love of Jesus in places I'm never going to go. To people I will never meet. Perhaps in languages I will never speak. I don't know. I stand on the shoulders of many who have come before me and I stand, and I want to stand so tall. I mean, at least like 5'8", maybe 5'8 and a half. I want to stand so tall that the next generation coming behind can stand even higher. Visionary preparation. So what can we do today that will help reveal Jesus tomorrow? See, when we started this church, someone challenged me. Ethan was playing a great job playing drums today, by the way. And uh, he was about four or five when we started the church. And somebody asked me when he's 15, what kind of church do you want him to grow up in? I said, go build that church. At the time, Life Tree was just an idea. I was like, oh, wow, that clarifies a lot of things. What kind of church do I want him to grow up in? I began to think, what, do I, what, what heritage of faith do I want him to understand about the body of Christ? And what do I want him to understand about you know, what a church means in the community and what it really looks like to live out faith authentically and genuinely and real and not just you know, being religious. What does it look like to actually live that out? It's why we go on missions trips and invest in our children's ministries and it's why we buy bagels and coffee and it's why we partner with other churches for community Thanksgiving services and it's why we pack meals for hungry kids and it's why we, we talk about reading the Word of God and it's why we do everything we do. It's really not about you. It's just about my kids. That's really it. It's, just, it's about the next generation saying, what are we passing on? Are we building a church not just for today but listen, someday, right, it says the man goes in the ground the message goes on. 
Man goes in the ground, the message goes on. Someday, should Jesus not come back, this church is going to have a different pastor. I'm going to die, or I'm going to move on, or something else is going to happen. I'm not going to be here forever. We're not going to be here forever. You're not going to be forever. hundred years from now, guess what? All new people. Whole world. hundred years from now, all new people. What are we doing to build something today? Is it just for us, or is it, is it visionary? Are we thinking about what, they're going to, what legacy we're leaving? What's going to follow I want to hand the next generation a church that's alive and strong and creative and accessible and filled with truth and love and one that's engaged in a community so they can take it and build it even bigger. Build it even higher. Let the name of Jesus become greater. It's not so much about size, but it's about influence in the kingdom of God. Can the next generation, listen, we're just scratching the surface of what God wants to do and I'm going to have a limit on what God's called me to do. And there's going to come a day where God's going to say, Dan, you're not the one to do that. But they are. So what are you doing today to prepare the way for them? What are you doing now to prepare the way for them? We've been doing this for nine years. And even if we do it for another hundred years, there's going to be more generations that are going to come and build upon this. In 2010, we had the, God gave us the privilege of starting this church. Don't worry, I'm not leaving. God gave us the privilege of starting this church. We assembled a team of people to help us. And our vision was not just to plant life tree, but to plant a forest of life trees. Say, so what could God do in and through us? How could we just build the kingdom? Not just here in Robbinsville, but wherever God should send us. And in 2018, you remember, we felt like God put it on our heart a year of multiplication. We began to identify other churches. And so we invested and helped the church get started in, uh, outside Atlantic City in Pleasantville, Rise City Church, Rise Community, you know, foster care services, and just an awesome thing going on down there in Pleasantville. And we helped the church in, I don't know if you know this, but out in, uh, in, in Lander, Wyoming. It's the seventh largest city in Wyoming. They have like 6,000 people. Just like, wow. It's called the Orchards. I grew up with the guy, and he's a good friend of mine from childhood. And it's like, we're life tree, you're the Orchards, we've got to help you. So we, we support them out there as they're getting the church started. And we help the church in Mexico, in Guadalajara. We've been working on them, and we're going to continue to work with the church in Mexico. And continue to help that church get started. And it's amazing how much our stories overlap. And, you know, just, and then there's King's Cross right here in Robbinsville. Hey, we're going to help them get started, you know, and just, hey, what can we do to help you guys? And so we've supported them. And just continue to say, what can God, and so God's kind of put in us this DNA of multiplication. Listen, we bought land for the church in Mexico. We don't even own anything. We rent this building. We now have office space, which I love, yes. Uh, we have office space. We just rent it, though. We own nothing. We bought land for somebody else. Just because you don't have doesn't mean you shouldn't do for somebody else. I love that we bought land before we bought land for ourselves. And I would keep doing it until God gives us the right piece. Because, listen, when, it's come, when the time comes for us to own a piece of property and actually build something, uh, it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be stupid. And you're going to be like, it just so happened that God did this, 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 and this. And it was just awesome and perfect. Because that's how God works. So, Investing in others doesn't preclude us from doing what he's going to do here, just so you know. It only just seeks to invest in the kingdom. And there's a sort of principle, it goes along with tithing, that when you give, God just provides. When you're faithful to give, God just provides. Right? And we've done that. Right? We've continually... The reason we were able to buy land, if you remember a couple of years ago, somebody gave the church a sizable gift. It was like $280,000. It was a huge gift. So the first thing the board says is we need to tithe on it. What do we do? Where's $28,000 go? I don't know. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from a, a guy in Mexico saying, hey, we got a church down here. I don't know if you guys can help us, but we need to buy some land. I said, how much is it? $28,000. Bonk, done. That's God. Right? Easy. It's easy to give when you understand that God's the provider behind it. So if he can trust it in your hands, he can keep giving it. So anyway, that's a tangent. 
Our vision was not simply to plant a life tree, but a forest of life trees. Mercer County is filled with people who have yet to understand how much God loves them and who He is. We're working here in Robbinsville, and we're working hard. We'll work with all the other churches. We've we got to get the message out. Every, every other church, is, they're on our team. We're working together here. Yeah, well, different languages. There's enough pizza places. There can be enough churches. It's all right. We're doing our best to reach Robbinsville, but there's still more to do. And our heart after His has vision for what should be and makes preparation for it. Jesus Himself, this is the heart of God. Jesus Himself said, hey, I go, what, prepare a place for you. Heart of God, visionary preparation. Someday God's, God's got our retirement all worked out. Paradise, it's called. If you've heard of it, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be everything you ever needed. God is doing things today in anticipation of our tomorrow, and our heart is to do likewise. So, with that said, I want to take just a few minutes and invite you to watch a video on the screens behind me. So when we started out in ministry, uh, we were on staff at First Assembly of God in Pennington, New Jersey, and had the privilege of serving there for about nine years as youth pastors and uh, eventually assistant pastors there at the church. And while we were there, uh, we had uh, a great young man in our youth group. His name was Frank Lavero, and I uh, got to get to know Frank really well. Uh, I got to see him grow up and uh, got just to develop a relationship with him. And uh, Frank had a call on his life to ministry uh, as well. And so it was pretty neat uh, just to watch him grow. And um, then when it was time for us to leave Pennington and start Life Tree, uh, we, we did that. Yeah, so uh, Frank, we asked him to come on board with us. Uh, we knew he had a heart for um, planning churches. He just came out of college, was ready to go. And we um, really loved Frank, and we had a great history with him and um, loved seeing him grow up. So we're like, definitely, if you could come, we want you on board. And so, yeah, he joined us and helped start the church at the elementary school with us way back uh, 10 years ago and uh, did an awesome job helping us out, was doing a lot of the work. Um, yeah, he did everything. He was helping out with youth, with small groups, with discipleship. Some of you who are here in the olden days of Life Tree will remember Frank. And uh, Pastor Frank was just a great addition to the Life Tree uh, church and our family. After about four years, uh, Frank felt the call to go full-time in ministry. At that time, our church wasn't able to do that. And uh, just God led him back to Pennington. Uh, so Frank went back to Pennington Assembly of God and served as their youth pastor for many years there and uh, just doing a great job there. And it was just really neat to have that relationship with him. So for me, back in college, I went to Valley Forge Christian College, and they put on a church planning um, conference there. And it was during that conference where I knew and felt that God was leading me to be part of a church plan. And uh, oftentimes, if you know meeting with Dan at all, uh, he will usually drop bombs on you in meetings and that alter the course of your life. And so we were, I thought we were just getting lunch to check in and see how I was doing at college. And he asked if I wanted to be part of Life Tree. And after praying and thinking about it, uh, it just seemed like that's where God was leading me to. And I learned so much during that time about planning, just about ministry. Um, and then felt like it was a season to kind of full-time learn and figure out and try a lot of the things that he taught me and see how they worked or didn't work. Um, and then over the past year, uh, we just began to feel like it was time to head towards this. And again, we had lunch with Dan, and he dropped another bomb. And uh, But it just felt right in timing. Yeah, we're just really excited for this next phase in our life um, and getting to be a part of the East Windsor Heights Town community. I actually grew up in Robbinsville, so it's kind of fun to see it come full circle um, and how we're all connected, and we're just really excited to uh, take this next step. 
part of uh, the steps we've been taking towards planning this church, um, last year I uh, transitioned out of my old job and I actually got a job in East Windsor at one of the elementary schools. And so that's been really exciting, getting to know the, the kids and, and the employees there and just feeling the heart of the town. Um, and Frankie and I have just kind of been exploring the area to get to know the people more. So we've been really excited and we definitely feel called to this area. And uh, when we talked to Dan and, and he kind of threw this at us, it just, you know, confirmed and solidified that this is where God has us uh, planned to be. Really excited to announce that uh, LifeTree is going to be partnering with Pennington Assembly of God to send out Frank and Rachel to start a new church in the Heightstown East Windsor area in 2020. And just really excited about working with you. It's a long time coming. It's been a, a dream that we've talked about really since the beginning of LifeTree to send you guys out. Uh, thrilled to be part of this and just looking forward to what God's going to do in and through you and how we can be a part of that. We are really excited to be part of this and to be planning out of Life Tree. And it's something that me and Dan talked about nine years ago uh, to someday see this happen. And so it's, it's a dream uh, come true in that sense. And it's also just fun. Uh, I love Life Tree. I love Pennington. They've both been a big part of who I am. And to be able to partner with both of them and do this together is really exciting. So the question is, how does it look when two churches start another church? Like, how does that all work? What do the, the mechanics look like? And so uh, we have no idea, but we're going to figure it out. Uh, basically, what's going to happen is that our church and Pennington together are going to come together and say, what can we do to help make sure that this new church gets started with a strong support system, a good foundation? And so it's going to be people. We're going to ask some of you to consider joining Frank and, and helping him get started. We're going to ask you to, to support them financially, to believe it, to invest in the kingdom. And uh, we're also going to you know, ask you to, to pray about this and to just invest energy and other things to, to say, how can we help? We'll provide leadership and structure, support, accountability, all those kind of things to help make sure that you guys get started off on, on the right foot. And uh, it's going to be an adventure, and uh, we're really, really looking forward to it. Yeah. And so we would love to partner with you guys. Again, more than anything, we'll take prayer. And we really do believe that prayer... Uh, moves God and gets him to work on our behalf and even just the story of life tree and all the prayers that God has answered along the way and so just pray for us if nothing else that, that God will move in Heightstown and East Windsor and that we'll see a healthy community of people coming together to, to serve the community and to love Jesus mm -hmm. and so uh, you can stay tuned because you're going to be hearing more information about this coming up in the coming months they're going to be planting this church in 2020 so a new church getting started it's not going to be another life tree it's going to be not another Pennington it's something totally new that God is going to be doing and just looking forward to seeing that happen so stay tuned there will be information coming out and uh, just uh, excited to see this happen for the next generation alright so we're yeah very excited um, and I feel like it totally fits with the heart of this message, the idea of investing in the next generation and what's to come. You know, uh, we're going to make some preparation. I want, I want Frank and Rachel to hit the ground and have everything they need, you know, to start strong, to reach the community of East Windsor, Heightstown. You know, they're still looking through that area. So um, we're not just, you know, when we say we're going to ask some of you to go, I'm not going to specifically ask people to leave the church. Like, I'm not telling you, like, I would like you to leave. I would like you, and I'm not going to do anything like that. But if, if, what we're going to do is just like everything else, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to consider, is God asking you, and it might be for a season, it might be like, hey, we'll go for six months and help them get started and then we'll go back to Life Tree. It might be, I mean, if you all leave, uh, you know, hey, that's all right. You know, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. I don't know. I'll have to figure that one out. Um, uh, 
but really feel like God put it on our heart, right? The best time to plant a tree, 20 years ago. Second best time, today. Second best time is today. And that's what it, that's what it looks like. We're excited to help them start a church. We want to do whatever we can to help them succeed. So what's going to happen is in, uh, in two weeks from today, I was hoping they would be here today. They're in Chicago. They're, they're, so Rachel's dad usually attends, Todd. He sits in the back, but they're in Chicago for some reason wanting to watch the Giants lose to the Bears. I don't understand. He's, Todd's a big Bears fan. Frank's a huge Giants fan. Uh, so they're all spending a, their, their one vacation. They're out there in Chicago. So that, yes. But in two weeks, Frank and Rachel will be here. And following the service uh, over at the office right across the way, um, following the service, they're going to have a, just an informational meeting for anybody who just wants to hear more about what's going on. And so I encourage you, reserve it on your calendar. If you can make it, just go listen to them. Hear what God's putting on their heart. Um, you can sign up on your connection card if you'd like to do that to say, hey, I, I'd like to sit in and, and hear more about that. Um, there's no commitment you know, required. It's just informational only. Um, but we want them to hit the ground with everything that they need. Again, visionary preparation. So for you, for your family, think about what is God doing in your heart. How can you pave the way? This is something we can do collectively as a church, and that's what we're going to do. Um, so if, you know, we'll be part of their board for the first few years. We'll be part of the church. Eventually the goal will be to release them, you know, but we'll have oversight to help them get started. They call it, in, in church circles, they call it parent, parenting, a parent-affiliated church, a PAC model, where like these churches kind of take responsibility until the, the kid's ready to move out. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what, they're, what, what that model is. But we're really excited for what God's going to do. How many of you know Frank? How many of you remember Frank? So okay, oh, a, good, a good number of you remember Pastor Frank. Frank is awesome. And uh, Rachel, they're a wonderful young couple and uh, thrilled for what God's going to do in them. And, and through them, and just excited. So you'll get to hear from them. Frank will be preaching here. We'll get to hear from him again, so he'll come back, get to hear more of their story. Um, but I invite you just to pray. See, a heart after his is visionary, right? It thinks about the next generation, about what more, not just us. And so what can we do to prepare the way? I want to I wanna put all the iron and all of the steel and <laughs> that they're going to need. You know, put it, just get it all together. Get them expert craftsmen and help them hit that ground running. Um, so that's that's the uh, that's the that was the announcement for the morning. Something I'm really excited about what God's going to do. Um, so I'm going to just close. I would like to close and invite the team back up. We're going to close with a with a song and invite you to take out your connection cards. You should have received them in, in the program. So if you take them out, there's an opportunity for you to take some next steps. So I want you to prayerfully just say, Hey God, what's the what's the vision you're putting in my heart? Not just the dream, not just things that could be. But what's a vision God is putting in your heart? Maybe it's to be part of that church. Maybe it's to invest in that church. Maybe it's something else altogether. But what is God putting in your heart? What's, what has to happen that God is putting on your heart that relates to the next generation? Is it something for you to do? Is it something for somebody else to do, but <laughs> you to set it, set it up, to put everything in place? So just take a minute. Just take a minute. Just invite you to, to reflect. Let God speak to you. Before we close the service, just take a minute right now. Say, God, what are you, what are you, what are you saying to me right now? Just listen. Let's give God a moment to, to speak. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.